Amen. Good. Well, you may all be seated. Thanks, team, for leading us today. May I say a big congratulations. Well done to those who are being baptized. When you give it up for them this afternoon. Great job. Looking forward to that. And so a good afternoon to everybody here this afternoon at the 2.30 service, and especially as we look or continue to look at the series of Walking in Integrity, and especially today we are looking at the, the topic of integrity in the church. Well, I'm going to kick off with a, a story uh, to kick off our topic today. A wealthy businessman was laying on his deathbed. His pastor came to visit him and talked about God's healing power and then prayed for him. When the pastor was done, the businessman said, Preacher, if God heals me, I'll give the church a million dollars. Miraculously, the businessman got better and within a few short weeks was out of the hospital. Several months later, the pastor bumped into this businessman on the street and said, You know, when you were in the hospital dying, you promised to give the church a million dollars if you got well. Well, we've still not received it yet. The businessman replied, Did I say that? I guess that goes to show how sick I really was. <laughs> we're exploring a, a topic today challenges every one of us. Integrity, and in particular, of course, how it applies to, to church life, to every one of us. And so when you look up the word integrity, it means adherence to moral and ethical principles. It means soundness of, of moral character, honesty, being complete, wholeness. And so throughout the Bible, you will find uh, words uh, like honesty and purity truth, uh, being upright, uh, blameless, complete, all of these things. And so uh, all these words that are associated with integrity. And so the word integrity is a Bible word. It's a Bible word. The Bible has a lot to say about it, both in the Old Testament and the New. And so it's a very spiritual issue. Here are a couple of scriptures to back that up. 1 Chronicles 29 verse 17 says, I know, my God, that you test the heart. And are pleased with integrity. Psalm 101 verse 2. I will walk within my house in the integrity of my heart. And so it's encouraging for us, you know, as believers to know that the author of the Bible who's still alive, amen, is a God of integrity. God is integral to his word. What he speaks, he delivers. What he speaks, he performs, amen. He's a God who keeps his word. God is the ultimate promise keeper. And the Bible really is God's testimony of how he keeps his word with his people. And so if we want to be people of integrity, that means, of course, that we will be those who spend time in the scriptures with God, learning about what integrity looks like. So if we read the Bible, if we study it, if we meditate upon it and apply it, that means we can be people of integrity. How many want to be people of integrity? Amen. And so if we would dedicate ourselves to Scripture, we would become those people. Because the Bible is the only standard for living. Yes, it measures right and wrong and all those different things in Scripture. But really, the Bible is our manual for life. One person said this, it's the B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth. And so the Christian life... Uh, it, without the Bible, it's impossible to live. 
Someone person said it like this. It said that, that you know, if uh, it's trying to fix a car without reading the instructions. <laughs> it's like me a couple of weeks ago when I was trying to fix my fuse box on my, box on my car. And so throughout all of this month, we're learning how to be people of integrity, yes, in church life, yes, in our work life, uh, yes, in all different types of areas, in our home and in our family. But one thing that needs to be clear in our mind is that the Bible is our guide of how to be those who are those of integrity, to be upright, uh, blameless, uh, to be those who are truthful and, and honest. There's a, a funny story about the preacher that told everyone to read uh, Joshua chapter 25 for next week's sermon. And when Sunday came, the preacher asked the congregation how many of them read Joshua chapter 25. And a bunch of them raised their hands. The preacher told all who did not raise their hands that they could go home because today's sermon was about lying. <laughs> he went on to inform the church that Joshua only had 24 chapters. <laughs> I'm not, not going to pull that one on you today. You go away and read Leviticus chapter 100. No, we're not going to do that. But it's quite a thought when we think about it that our lives are in constant view of God. Our lives are always in God's sight. He sees all of our thoughts. He sees all of our actions and our deeds. He sees all of us for who we really are. He is everywhere. He knows uh, our hearts. Other people don't know maybe our hearts, but he does. And he sees it all. And so everything that we say, everything that we do and think and even imagine is under the eye of God. We can never escape his sight. This is the thing that the psalmist got so overwhelmed about in Psalm 139. He's saying things, you know, like, where can I go from your presence? Where can I go from your spirit? If I go here, you're there. If I go there, you're, you're here. And so God sees it all. He knows the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And so there's nothing hidden from his sight. And I think if we, every one of us really got a hold of this truth, it has capacity to revolutionize our life, to know that God is actually watching us 24-7 all the time. The psalmist David measured integrity by how we live according to God's standards. In fact, David, he devoted a whole psalm to it. This is the longest psalm and the longest chapter in the Bible, Psalm 119, talks about God's standards. Because you see, for David, there was a standard. Uh, and this doesn't change according to the individual, whoever you are. It's set by the Lord. And David is saying the person of integrity is one who lives consistently with God's standards. They are people who do what is right, who don't just talk about it. They're not pretenders. Uh, they're not just talkers. They are walkers. And that's, of course, why we're looking and we phrase this series, Walking in Integrity. I was uh, reading that back in the Bible, Bible times, it, it took many hours for a potter to, to shape the clay. And unfortunately, because of the uneven heat of a wood-fired furnace, cracks would often show up in the clay during the, the cooling process. And if you were a true craftsman, uh, you would shatter the piece that had cracks, and you would then, of course, start again. But some potters, they just filled in the cracks with wax, and then they painted over the whole thing, and so at least it looked good, and so it, of course, would hold up a few times if it was used. But if something hot was placed inside of it, 
the wax would melt and it would expose the cracks. And so this is why honest potters back in biblical times, uh, they began putting the inscription without wax on the bottom of their pots. It meant it was a vessel of integrity. And so it means this for us today, that the person who leads a blameless life and does the right thing is living without wax. They are not pretenders. They are the real deal. Amen? They are those who at least try to seek to live a life of integrity. And if we had more time, of course, and I'm sure we have done a little bit over the course of the series, we could look at those in the Bible who exemplified this life of integrity. We could look at uh, perhaps Joseph. We could look at Job. We could look at uh, Daniel. If we just looked at the life of, of Joseph, his story is amazing of how he was able to come to a place in his life where he was able to forgive his brothers despite the fact that they mistreated him by selling him into slavery. And he was faithful, of course, to God's promise. Or, or how about Job? We've heard about Job in the Bible. Here's someone that God actually commends as blameless, upright, someone who is, someone who is fears God, he shuns evil. In other words, he's a man of integrity. And then later we read that Job, he loses his home, he loses his his children, he loses his his wealth, he loses his health. And I'm sure the Satan was probably thinking, well, I've got him now. But what's amazing is that despite all the hell that Job went through and the temptation to curse God and to give up on God, he kept his integrity. Even in the midst of of friends that were questioning him and his own wife telling him to curse God and to to curse him and die, he was one who kept close to the Lord. He refused to be persuaded by others. And Job was a man, of course, who went through an, an awful lot, but he remained faithful and he didn't quit. And what happened? God honored him for it. And so there's a lot to learn, of course, from the, from the biblical characters, from the Old Testament. Uh, but even more than that, there is nothing like studying the man, Jesus Christ, the perfect man, the sinless man. All the others that went before him were just types. They were foreshadows who had imperfections, they had weaknesses, they had character flaws. But Jesus was the perfect ideal human being. It says that in the, in the Gospel of Luke. He was the perfect ideal human being. God had been promising for, for thousands of years to send a Messiah who would save people from their sins. He would save the world. And God delivered what he said, of course, he was going to do. Amen? Because he is a promise-keeping God. What God promised he would do in the Old Testament, he delivered in the New Testament. And Jesus was the promise of that fulfillment. Jesus came and he, and he lived among us. He was the perfect ideal human being. He was the perfect ideal person that modeled integrity. And we see that in how he never made excuses for his work. You study when you look at the life of Jesus, just in those, those three years, he did all things well. Never made excuses. He did everything that he applied himself to. He did it well. Despite ill treatment, despite uh, rejection, uh, an accusation, being misrepresented, he never responded back with evil when he had the opportunity. He never responded, uh, fought back, or, or put any slander out. He, he never went behind anybody else's back. And in fact, in Mark 12, 14, Mark 12, 14, there was an occasion when the people actually came to him. 
And they said this, Teacher, we know you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Isn't that a great scripture? We know you are a man of integrity. And so throughout Jesus' life on earth, people saw the way he lived. They saw the way he conducted his life. But see, every day that he lived was drawing nearer to the point where he would ultimately fulfill his main mission, which was to go to the cross. Because he knew that there was a promise to keep. And so finally, when the moment of truth came in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he was about to face a cross, Jesus felt himself, felt the weight of keeping this promise. In fact, he said to the Father, he said, please take this cup from me. Please let it pass from me. In other words, if there is any other way, let it be done. In other words, going to the cross was not easy for Jesus. Jesus knows exactly what it is like to face the weight of a promise. But then in that moment, when he realized that there was no other way to save humanity, Jesus became the ultimate promise keeper. Amen. He gave his life for us. Despite mistreatment, despite the pain and the shame and the suffering, he kept to fulfilling the promise. Scripture says that whilst we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Amen? Whilst we failed Him, He would never fail on us. Whilst we were those who, you know, didn't deliver on, on the covenant, whilst we were those that didn't keep our end of the bargain, we, we, we turned our backs on God, God would never turn His back on us. He kept His covenant with us. He kept His word because He's the ultimate promise-keeping God. You and I are here today because He kept His word. Amen? And then, moving on, we find hidden away in 1 John, I think it's verse uh, 10 or 11, something like that. 1 John, we, found, we find this power-packed little statement from John. And it says this, If any man claims to be his, they must walk as Jesus did. If any man claims to be his, they must walk as Jesus did. What a huge statement, isn't it? So if I claim to belong to God, if I claim to be those uh, one who follows God, then I must walk as Jesus did. Not just a talker, but a walker. When Jesus defended himself against the religious leaders of his day, and these were his rivals, these were his enemies, he responded to them by saying this, what I say and what I do testify as to who I am. What I say and what I do, they testify to who I am. In other words, you can measure me by what I say and what I do. And so his integrity was proven by his words and his deeds. Showing even today that a person of integrity is proven by their words and by their deeds. In fact, when Jesus taught, he was always actually more interested with his disciples' attitudes than their actions. He was more interested in their thoughts than their behaviors. Why? Because he knew that right heart values and a right attitudes lead to right actions. And a healthy thought life leads to better behavior. And so this is what integrity is. Integrity is, is, is what we, this is what we really are underneath the service, underneath the surface. Speaking of the content of our character and our values. And so we can say that our actions, they demonstrate our inner attitudes. This is what integrity is about. Those inner attitudes 
that lead to right actions. For example, if someone says, today I have a value for timekeeping, well, their actions will follow through. If someone says, you know, that, that they value speaking the truth, it means that their actions will follow through. And so integrity is much more than what you just say. Integrity is doing what you said you would do. Amen? It means keeping your promises. It actually means that your words and your actions are the same. In other words, you practice what you say. Jesus said himself, you will know them by their deeds. And the challenge, of course, that we have as Christian believers today is to maintain this personal you know, integrity in a world and a culture that has a completely different value system. For many in our world, integrity, uh, it would seem, has vanished from people's vocabulary. Today, society places so much attention and value on reputation and uh, physique and appearance, personality, uh, money, wealth, possessions. And it would seem like integrity and character has just flown out of the window. What seems to be often sometimes shaping our culture and values in life is the TV. and Maybe the media and the social media and perhaps the internet. And uh, the reality TV shows, and I know you never watch. <laughs> and so as a nation, uh, morality and, and integrity is being shaped and molded by what we see on the TV set. Pleasure, entertainment, do what feels good, do what makes me feel happy. For many people, their standard of truth is based more around whatever works for me. Uh, and that's why uh, it, Paul the Apostle writes in Romans 12:2. Romans 12.2, don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. And so, yes, the call to the, to the church to live with integrity is a challenge one. I don't know if you found that yourself, that there is a challenge to us to live with integrity in our culture, in a world that's completely different, that has a different value system. And the question that we must ask ourselves is, is where am I going to get my values from? Because it usually comes down to just two basic choices. I'm either going to get my values from walking with Jesus Christ and God's word, or I'm going to get my values from the, from the world. I heard it said just a little while ago that someone who has been a Christian for just 10 years has likely heard around 1,000 sermons. They've sang around about 5,000 songs and said 15,000 prayers. And I was thinking about this, and I was thinking, well, that's, that's quite a lot. But I was thinking, after all of this activity in church life, are we walking more and more like Jesus did? Do our words and, and our deeds look like His? And of course, thank God that every one of us is a work in progress. Put your hand up if you're a work in progress. Amen. Tell your person next to you, you're a work in progress. Not one of us has met a perfect Christian yet. I certainly haven't met any perfect Christian yet. It's like that saying that C.S. Lewis once said, he said, the making of a Christian is instantaneous, but the making of a saint takes a lifetime. We know that integrity, you know, takes some work. It, it can be worked at. But you see, God wants a church that is full of integrity. Not only in the church, but he wants a living example to show to the world, wherever God has positioned you, wherever God has placed you, because the world is looking for authenticity. God wants us to be authentic Christians, those who live 
with integrity. And this really covers so many different areas of our life, doesn't it? So many different things that we need to walk in integrity in. For example, today someone might say, well, my family is really important to me. And most people would sign up to that and say, yes, that's important to me. But according to statistics, it reveals that the average father in the UK spends about five minutes a day with his kids. So what is he doing? He's saying one thing, but he's doing something else. Or we might use another example. You might say, well, my health is really important to me. It's really important to me. Really? Well, do you exercise? Uh, No. Uh, uh, Do you eat right? No. Uh, Do you get lots of rest? No. Well, do you take any days off? Well, sometimes, but, you know, my health is really important to me. You see, after a careful analysis of this, we were, it would lead us to conclude that that's not real. That's not authentic. That's not genuine. It's not consistent. They're not following through necessarily with what they say. And of course, we could apply this to our spiritual life. We could apply this to church life and how we do church together. Someone uh, might say uh, today, well, God is really important to me. Or, I love Jesus Christ with all of my heart. And someone might respond saying, oh, that's great. Well, do you have a regular uh, devotional time with the Lord? Well, uh, no. Uh, do, do you read the Bible? Do you spend any time with, with God in prayer? And, and if that person says no, we would have to, it would lead us to saying, well, that's not authenticity. Or we could go even further. Someone might say, well, I have a heart for the lost. But if they don't actually pray for the lost, or they don't actually seek to, to, to evangelize or preach the gospel, we would have to say that, that that's not authentic. That's not real. It's not genuine. We could go further. Someone might say, well, I believe in making disciples. Yeah, making disciples. That's what we're called to do. We're supposed to be doing that. Got the t-shirt. But if someone responds saying, well, do you actually make disciples? And they say, well, not really. We would have to say that lacks authenticity. It's not real. It's not genuine in their life. And so, of course, this could be applied to so many different areas of our life. And so it shows that there is a real need for authenticity in our life. God wants a church that is authentic. Amen? Christians who look like Jesus. Christians who talk and act like Jesus. But more than that, who are like Him in word and deed. Who walk like Jesus did. And the good news is that every one of us, of course, can model authentic Christianity. That's our heart's desire as a Christian. This is the kind of Christianity that we see in the Bible in the early church. It was sweeping through the known world. There was authenticity in people's lifestyles before God. It was attractive to unbelievers. Unbelievers stood back saying, what is it about them that was so different? Look at their values. Look at their lifestyle. Look at their honesty. Look at how they, they deliver on their word. They keep their word. In other words, they don't just talk a good game. They live it out. See, how does the, the church become attractive to those outside? People might say, well, uh, we need to become like the world to reach them. We need to blend in with the world to reach them. But surely the glory of the gospel is this, is that when the church is absolutely different to the world, she attracts it. She is attracted to her message. And so if I want to myself have a greater impact in the world, it starts with me. It starts with us. Amen? 
when we become people of integrity, we can't expect necessarily integrity and obedience in the world until it's first starting functioning in me, in the church. And this is when we begin to when when they begin to say, "Oh, look, look those believers, they're different. Look at the look how real they are. Look at their values. They look like they've been with Jesus. They sound and behave, and they look like Jesus. They're, look at their values, their behavior." They stand out in the workplace, in the marketplace, in, in their colleges, and in their schools. They look different. In fact, we could draw some encouragement from the early church, uh, in, especially in Acts chapter 4. You can look at that at another time yourself, where we find the church is going through a time of persecution. And, and, and Peter and John were uh, put in jail for preaching the gospel. And the church was being threatened by the religious leaders in Jerusalem. And they were saying that if you continue to preach and teach in the name of Jesus, we're going to punish you. And it was a challenging time to be a follower of Jesus. But guess what? They didn't go back from their message. They didn't turn back from their message. They stayed integral to what Jesus had called them to do. Amen? Despite whatever trials and persecutions that came their way, they lived out the gospel. They stood up for truth. And what happened? The gospel started to spread all over the place. People are getting saved. People are attracted to the gospel of Christ. And so what's so amazing in the early church is that even under fire, the church's integrity was shining through. They lived out what they believe. And the same is true, of course, for us today. Nothing has changed in that our lives are are open windows for people to see Christ in us. Amen? Constantly. Wherever God has positioned us, our lives are constant windows for people to see Christ in us. You might have heard that saying, if you were taken to court for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Integrity means that you have a lifestyle that that complements what you believe. Complements what you believe. It means that I take God's Word and then I apply it to my daily activities. In other words, I become a doer of the Word. So when we gather like this together, of course we become hearers of the Word, but we go out becoming doers of the Word. This is what James chapter 1 verse 22 was saying. He said, do not merely listen to the Word, and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. And so we see from characters in the Bible, we see from from Jesus Christ and even the early church, that to become a person of integrity, I must do what is right. Even being willing to go against the crowd if the crowd is wrong. It being willing to stand alone even if it costs me. It may mean in the face of all that gossip and those lies that are going on around you, you decide to be not a part of it. Why? Because you're more interested in pleasing God than you are pleasing man and pleasing the crowd. The Bible teaches that integrity has a much higher value than riches or fame or pleasing the crowd or following what everybody else is saying and doing. Check out Proverbs 19.1. Proverbs 19.1. Better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than he who is perverse in speech and is a fool. Proverbs 28.6. Better is the poor man who walks in his integrity than he who is crooked though he be rich. And so what all these scriptures saying, these scriptures are are encouraging us, don't sell out your integrity. Don't sell out your integrity, not for power, not for revenge, not for pride, 
not for money or anything. Don't sell out your, your integrity. And so we see all these Old Testament Bible characters. We see how they were ones who grew into being those who were those of integrity. We see it. That Jesus was a man of integrity. But what about Paul the Apostle? Paul the Apostle, this great apostle to the Gentiles. In 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1. Paul tells the Corinthians, you should follow my example just as I follow Christ's. What a powerful statement of integrity that is, isn't it? I mean, it's a wonderful picture of of discipleship. You should follow my example just as I follow Christ's. Paul said, later on, he said, my life is worth nothing unless I use it for doing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about God's wonderful kindness and love. See, see, understand what Paul is saying here. He's saying, I've done the best that I could. I've done the best that I could before God. I showed you how to live a Christian life, a life of integrity. He could say, you can argue, yes, about my methods. In fact, you can compare me to the amazing orators and speakers like Apollos that were around in that day. You can think I'm rude even. You may even want to make some complaints about my ministry. But one thing you have to say is this. He lived like Christ. He lived like Christ. And so surely for us, as we look across this series, this must be our aim. That we would look like Christ. Are you a a walking, living, breathing model of Christian integrity where God has placed you? In your family, in in your workplace, in church life. Are you a, a model of this? wherever God has positioned you. And so I want to now look at, uh, look at this a little bit more practically in, in conclusion today as we end this series. We're talking about walking in integrity, walking like Jesus in words and in our deeds. Sometimes we, we all have seasons where we take on more than we can handle. And we get into a habit of, of you know, Getting used to saying, yeah, I'll be there. Don't worry. I'm there. I'm going to be there. And, or perhaps I'm, I'll have it to you in by the end of the day. Or sure, that's no problem. But then somehow it doesn't become a reality. And so good intentions and, and sometimes stress and, and deadlines uh, are all factors that actually make us commit to things. But somehow we end up not delivering on them. And there are brothers and sisters that we know and even friends we have known who have uh, great hearts for the Lord seemingly, but, but whom you might never ask to do something for you. Why? Because you know it wouldn't get done. We're not into the naming shaming business though, are we? We know we're all in the same boat. But how do we know that? Because time after time they, they've promised perhaps that, that to do something that they never got done. They created a pattern of dropping the ball. And so they showed themselves untrustworthy, and of course it it harmed their integrity, and it suffered. And we've all, of course, done that ourselves. None of us, of course, are perfect. We're all a work in progress. But there are four things that I'd like for us to consider today as we seek to end this series. Four things that we can look at and say, okay, I can work with that. Four things that will help us increase in our integrity. Number one, if you've got a pen and paper, you might want to jot them down. Number one, don't make promises that you can't keep. Don't make promises you can't keep. And so we need to carefully, prayerfully, 
consider the things that, that we make a commitment to do. And so you know, there are many things that we want to do. There are many things that we could do. There are many things that we should do. But what are the things that we can do? And more importantly than that, what are the things that God wants me to do? Amen? And so after that, after you've prayerfully and carefully considered those things, that's when, of course, we can apply Jesus' teaching when he said, you know, let your yes be yes and your no be no in the Sermon of the Mount. So that's number one. Don't make promises that you can't keep. Number two, commit to keeping the promises that you make even when it costs you. Ouch. Commit to keeping the promises you make even when it costs you. I wonder if, if you've ever wondered what people associate with, with your name. Do people say that you can be trusted? Do people say that you are re reliable, that you're committed, that you can be counted upon? Are you as good as your word? I remember a, a number of weeks back, my, my son, Evan, I've got two sons, one who's uh, uh, Evan and the other's Seth, but my oldest, and, uh, seven years of age, he's very much into football, loves playing football all the time. And uh, anyway, um, came, the morning came, and I promised him that I would take him out to play football out on the hill. We've got a hill right behind us, and so we would go and play. We play quite regularly. And anyway, so I made the promise, and then he went off to school, and then sure enough, he came home, and guess what was on his mind? Dad, can we go and play some football? But the problem was is that that day was very tiring. <laughs> and I was tired and I was pretty miserable. I was, really had a lot of things to do, a lot of things to think through. And anyway, I remember thinking to myself, I really don't want to go out and play football. As love as I love playing football, I really don't want to go out and do this. And it, the only thing that, of course, got me all dressed up and to get my shoes on was the fact that I made that promise to him. And so this time, of course, I, I delivered and did what I said. I kept my promise. But of course, this applies to parenting and kids, doesn't it? The whole issue to do with integrity. If we promise something to our kids, and of course, we need to be those who deliver. But this also applies to church life. This applies to perhaps cell ministry and those cells that you're involved in together. In other words, if you promised a friend that you were going to return a call, integrity says that you return that call. If you promised them that you were going to meet with them, integrity says that you still meet with them. And many times, sometimes when we've promised to pray for someone and then for whatever reason we've forgotten to pray for that person. If you're, another example would be if you're part of a cell, then you keep to your commitment of meeting with that group every week. All those things determine if you are as good as your word. And so integrity helps you keep your priorities right, even when you're in, under fire. Even when you're going through the, the fire and everything's not working out, integrity says you keep your priorities right no matter what. It means that you don't take shortcuts <laughs> no, no matter what kind of temptations come. Number three, admit when you've failed. Admit when you've failed. Admit when you've dropped the ball. We all have had those times when we've broken a, a promise at one time or another. The important thing is to be honest about it. Amen? Admit, the time, admit it when you've, uh, you know, you've messed up instead of making excuses. But it doesn't end there, of course. Resolve to change it so you can regain your integrity. And so it's important for us to be real all the time. Be honest in your communication. Be honest when you've messed up and admit your flaws. 
The bottom line with integrity is that it allows others to trust you. Of course, every one of us wants people to, to trust us. So number three, admit when you failed. Number four, surrender to Christ. Certainly not the least. Surrender to Christ. Jesus enables us to be those who walk in integrity. Amen? Jesus said himself, he said to his disciples, neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. In other words, we can't grow, we can't change, we can't improve unless we abide in Christ. Every one of us wants to change. And every one of us sometimes might beat each other over the head because we don't keep our word. But the, the way to improve is to abide in Christ. We want to become more like Him. Amen? In word and in our deeds. And so the more time that we spend with Him, the more of His character is going to rub off on us. Christ has shown us through His own example of how uh, we can raise our game and how we can be those who make an impact in our world. There may be people even here today that are, are facing an integrity challenge. Some of you are going through a challenge in, in your family or in work or even in church. And the challenge to become upright and to be blameless and truthful and honest seems so hard. Some of you may be in a place where you, it's, it's so hard that you feel like you're ready to quit, you're ready to escape. I want to encourage you today. To acknowledge that God doesn't just want you to be a person of integrity, but He wants to help you be a person of integrity. The Bible says that He is the potter and we are the, the clay. He is constantly molding us and, and shaping us. We're not a, a, a perfect article in any way. God sees our weaknesses and He sees our imperfections. But what He's after, He's, he's after someone who really wants to change who wants to make changes to their ways and their choices and decisions. And so I want to encourage you, if you're going into in a challenging place, if you're going through a tough situation right now, choose integrity. Choose to be blameless and truthful and honest in your dealings in doing life with people. Let's pray together. Just come honestly before the Lord this afternoon. Come to Him and even acknowledge some of your imperfections and your weaknesses, the cracks that have sometimes appeared in your life. Lord, we say thank You today for Your Word. We thank You for Your example. We thank You, Lord, that You are committed to changing us and transforming us. You truly are the potter and we are the clay. We ask you today that you would shape us and you would mold us to be the people of integrity that you intend. We pray, Lord, that you would make us strong in word and strong in deed. We pray, let us be an example to the world around us. We pray this, Lord, so that your name, the name of Jesus Christ would be seen. Lord, would you help us in those areas where we're imperfect and we're weak and there are cracks? Lord, would you repair us and restore us in those areas. Lord, we want to be a shining light for you. Help us to be a strong witness, Lord, in, in our home and in our workplace, in that school or in that college. Thank you, Lord, that you are never giving up on us. You never give up on us. Even when we quit, you never fail us. You are close. You are shaping us. And sometimes you are pruning us. And sometimes those times are painful. 
We're going through the, the tough challenges, but thank you, Lord, that your hand is so close when you are pruning us. There's never a time when you're more closer than when you are pruning those branches to become more fruitful. And so, Lord, today we say thank you and we say yes to you. Help us be those people of integrity. And everyone said, Amen. Praise God. Praise God.